Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Yeah, you did. Thank you. Um, I don't know how many of you remember reading or have you, if you've ever read the book To Kill a Mockingbird ever, but I'm going to quickly remind you uh, about the book. Uh, it's set in a small town in Alabama, and it revolves around the childhood of two, two kiddos, uh, Scout and Jim, and their lawyer father, who he's been asked to defend a black man at that time who's falsely accused of rape. So the whole book is revolving around that, that idea. Um, and in the book, there's this scene where the kids, they're really struggling with what their dad is doing. They're struggling against why he's doing this, why he's defending this man. There's so much chaos, and they're hearing things from their neighbors, and, and they're just really wrestling through that idea of why he would take such a case. Um, and if he was even right to take the case. So they start to question him. Do you even know what you're doing? And, and the, the scene, it goes like this. Uh, Atticus, who's the father, he says, this case, Tom Robinson's case, is something that goes to the essence of a man's conscience. Scout, I could not go to church and worship God if I did not try to help that man. But Scout responds, Atticus, you must be wrong. How's that, he replies. Well, most folks seem to think that they're right and you're wrong. And he replies, they're certainly entitled to think that. And they're entitled to full respect of their opinion, said Atticus. But before I live with other folks, I have to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person, person's conscience. So uh, even from a, an early age, we're very aware of something within us that is communicating to us right and wrong. We see that in the eyes of, of, a, of a toddler pondering, should he do what his mom just told him not to do? We see he's got this crisis of conscience going on. You experience it in guilt and shame after flying off the handle at something small and really insignificant and you realize, I shouldn't have done that, and you're struck. Even cartoons like Tom and Jerry display little Jerry's angel on one shoulder and little Jerry's devil on the other telling him what he should do. We see the struggle of conscience everywhere. But I believe that we all, at the end of our lives, we would love to be able to say with Paul, as he says in, in Acts 23, 1, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I think we would want to say, as he says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have done what God has called me to do. I have lived my life to please him. And what I hope to show you today in our text is that we can live with a good conscience before the Lord if we are always seeking to please Him. So we're going to start by asking the question, what is a good conscience? So let's jump into the text. Look at verse 30. We'll read verse 30 in, in chapter 22. But on the next day, <clears throat> desiring to know the real reason why Paul was being accused by the Jews... 
the tribune, the tribune unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So we need to understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying that before he even became a Christ follower, he was living with a good conscience before God because he was always seeking to please the Lord. His whole life was bent on pleasing the Lord, doing what the Lord had called him to do. Even as he persecuted the way, he can say he believed he was living before the Lord by coming against this group of Jews who were proclaiming that this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. Even standing there as Stephen is stoned to death, Paul had a good conscience because he believed he was living before God, that he was carrying out everything that the Lord had called him to do according to the law of God. But this was all before Paul was born again. This was all before he was given eyes to see the truth. Just as we see uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in John 3, and Jesus tells the Pharisee, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But once Paul was awakened to the truth that Jesus was in fact the Messiah of God, he was God, he is the one who came to save his people, he in good conscience could no longer at that point persecute Christianity. He immediately stops what he was doing. He was awakened to the fact that he wasn't just persecuting a movement against God, he was persecuting God's movement. And then his conscience was refined by the truth. He realized, I have been doing something that is not according to God's word. And now to go against Christianity would defile his good conscience before God. And he could no longer do that. So Paul was now living for Christ. He was now living for Jesus. He was living for the resurrected king. He had been at that moment eternally changed. He had seen the king, and he could at that point no longer go in good conscience against what the king had shown him and called him to do. You see, Paul in our passage today was living in a good conscience before the Lord because he was always seeking to please him. Now, before we get to what a good conscience means or how do we obtain a good conscience, we need to understand what the word conscience even means. At the most basic level, conscience is just knowing how to determine between right and wrong. Um, That's just a basic level. If we were to think about it a little more deeply with the eye of Scripture um, weighing in on it, we would say that conscience, the conscience is an aspect of the human nature that was created in God's image. A gift from God that when working properly tells people their obligation to God accusing them when they do wrong, and excusing them when they wrongly feel guilty. So basically, we are created in the image of God. 
We have his moral standards rooted in us into our deepest beings. If we're followers of God or not, we know at the deepest level there is right and wrong because we've been created in a good God's image who does not dwell in darkness. So God has implanted reflections of himself in his people. He's implanted reflections of himself in you and in me. And he's created in us a desire to do exactly what is pleasing to him. Because what is pleasing to him is good. But the problem comes, the problem with our conscience comes, just like everything else, it's fallen victim to sin. Turning a pure and undefiled conscience that God created into one that has been corrupted. So immediately we see, we go to the garden and we think of the first, the first fall into sin and we see that Adam and Eve, they had become aware, they sin against the Lord and they become aware that they're, they're now naked. They see that and they've acted contrary to what God has called them to do. And what do they do? Hide in shame. Their conscience at that moment is struck And they see that they can no longer in good conscience stand before the Lord. The damage was done at that point. Everyone after that, all the chapters after that, we see sin so corrodes the conscience that we get just three chapters later in Genesis 6 and we see the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We see that sin has so corroded the conscience that the world is living with only evil intention constantly, continually. Paul will later write uh, in 1 Corinthians that we have weak consciences. In 1 Timothy, we have seared consciences. In Titus, defiled consciences. Well, these are all effects of the fall on this good conscience that God has created within us. Some of you in here, you've had this procedure um, where you go in, you have nerve pain, and they sear the, the nerve so that you no longer feel that pain in your back or elsewhere. And that's the picture that we get of a seared conscience. That uh, Just think of all of what the world passes off, what they say is in good conscience. We feel good about this. This is right. But this is because they've been living in sin for so long that the sin has started to sear the part of us that says you should not be living this way. This is not how you were created. So just like the procedure when you go in and get a nerve burn, it's, it's killing that feeling. That's what sin does to your conscience. The longer you live in it, the more you don't feel it. But as sin leads us away from living to please God and towards living to please ourselves, the voice of God starts to grow more and more faint. So how do we develop a good conscience? First and foremost, we need the Spirit to awaken our conscience. It is dead at the point of sin when we don't know Jesus, our conscience, our life. We are dead in sin in our trespasses, and we need the Spirit to wake us up. Jesus says in John 16, 8, When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
You needed to be made aware or you presently need to be made aware that you have lived, all that you have lived for before knowing Jesus was focused in the wrong direction. You need to understand that the reason you've lived in guilt and emptiness and loneliness is because you've been living contrary to the will of God for you. And the sin in your life has kept your conscience in this constant turmoil within you. And constant conflict has robbed you of the joy that you were created to have. The joy that you're created to live with. The Puritan Richard Baxter wrote, We can do nothing well without joy and a good conscience. And a good conscience is the ground of joy. <clears throat> but the Spirit exposes your defiled conscience. And he does so not to keep you in this state of sorrow. He doesn't say, look at your sin so that you can just sit there and feel bad about your sin. He wants to apply to you the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to cleanse you of sin and clear your conscience. And faith in the cleansing and the perfecting blood of Jesus Christ is the second step of obtaining a good conscience. So we have our conscience exposed by the Spirit, and he says, follow Jesus, and he will cleanse you. And our faith in the cleansing blood of Jesus is what starts to purify us. We see in the writer in Hebrews says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And he goes on in the next chapter and says, Let us draw near with a true heart of full, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So by the Spirit, our conscience starts to have the scar tissue from years of sinning scraped away and the raw nerve exposed. And we can then start to feel, we become sensitive to the leading of God. We start to feel this is not the way I should live. This is not how the Lord has created me. This is not what is pleasing to him. We start to feel that again. And we can once again hear the echoes of our true Humanity. We can, we can feel that we were created in the image of God and we are made to reflect him to the world around us. And now in Christ, when we fall in sin, we no longer have to suffer in guilt and shame because the balm of the gospel has been applied to that. And he starts to heal us. You see, without Christ, when we sin, we have nowhere to turn. We have no reprieve. When our conscience is struck, we have nowhere else to go but deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. We have no help, no pulling out of that. We have no peace. But as a believer, we turn to Jesus and we receive forgiveness. And we receive cleansing. And we find peace with God. One writer said, the peace of conscience is nothing but the echo of pardoning mercy. So the peace that we feel that I've been forgiven, I've been loved, is just the echo of God saying, I've died for you. 
I've paid for your sin. You are clean. To have a good conscience, the Spirit has to expose our sin. And He has to apply the blood of Christ to us so that we can thirdly know how to train to have a good conscience. To know between good and evil. We see in Hebrews 5, but solid food is for the mature, but for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So those who are maturing in the faith, they are constantly training, they're constantly practicing what it means to distinguish between good and evil. Paul picks this up in Romans I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Even after we become believers, we still struggle to know how to live a life pleasing to God. We still are wrestling through that, but we've been graciously been given the word of God. Each one of us, we have access to the word of God. We have the spirit in us who is speaking to us. And he says that my word is a a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I'm going to show you exactly how you should live. I am with you. I am teaching you. I am showing you how to be a person of good conscience. And to do that, we need to be people of the word. If I want to please the Lord, I need to know what he is saying is pleasing to him. I need to be constantly in his word. I need to constantly be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters who are speaking the word to me. And a cleansed conscience and a trained conscience leads to the fourth way of having a good conscience. Understanding that you're living before God. Look at Acts 23, verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. This is knowing that all of life, everything we do, is lived before the Lord. It's in His view, it's under His judgment. And I think sometimes we think that's creepy. I think we think um, that is some strange idea that God is watching in a creepy way. And that just weirds us out. But this is more of the idea that we are not disconnected from God in anything we do. In any situation, in any conversation, any decision that is being made is, is being accomplished before the Lord. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Sometimes, in the heat of the moment, we live like our actions, they just don't matter. We fly off the handle. We think our words are, are just in private or our thoughts are hidden away or our conversations um, are, are not known, but they, then we become convicted 
by our conscience. We realize that is something I shouldn't have done. But if, if we practice God's presence, if we are practicing that he's always with us, if we're reminding ourselves constantly that he dwells within us, that we acknowledge he is in every detail of every day, that he is intimately with us, he longs to be with us, he wants to do this with us, then we would start seeking to please him in everything we do, but we have to train ourselves, we have to remind ourselves, we have to be reminded by one another that we are in and living out everything we do in the presence of God. So a good conscience is one that is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. A good conscience is one that is trained to know the will of God by the Spirit through the Word of God. And a good conscience is one that is always seeking to please God in every single action. And once we understand what a good conscience is, then we can turn to the rest of the passage. Now we can see how, how Paul, he starts to apply that in, in these other areas of life. He says, I have always had a good conscience up to this day. And then we're going to see, oh, he gets challenged in that comment. So look at the text, verse 2. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. So Paul is saying, everything that I've said, I have done that in good conscience. I've preached Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, that he is, he is the Messiah we've been waiting for, that he is saving not only the Jews, but he's also saving the Gentiles. And as soon as he says, I've done all of that in good conscience, he gets smacked in the mouth. This seems, it made me think immediately of 1 Peter 3. So we're going to look at these two, oh sorry, we're going to look at these two passages in parallel. Peter, so you hold that image in your mind, Paul, he's just proclaimed that he's done this in good conscience, he just wants people to know Jesus, and now we're going to look at Peter, who's also writing on suffering. He says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them and don't be troubled. You see, Paul, he's, he's not trying to tear down Judaism. He's, he's saying that Jesus is here. He's saying what we have believed, what we've been longing for, what we were waiting for has finally happened. The Messiah has come. He is completing the mission that we have always had. His testimony was only for their good. He was trying to reveal to them, we see in verse 6, the hope that he has had in the resurrected Christ. But in his zealousness for good, he suffers. He gets popped in the mouth. The key here, though, is how do we suffer with a good conscience that's the, that's the key. How, how do we do that? Uh, a suffering that is pleasing to the Lord when we're trying to do something good and the world comes against us. So what does it mean to have a good conscience in suffering for the gospel? First, we have to ask ourselves, am I zealous for what is good? 
Am I actually after what is good? Is, is my sharing the gospel um, because I'm after the glory of God and I truly, truly, truly want to see people come to know Jesus? I am preaching to them only for their good. Or do I find myself coming against people and I'm using the gospel to beat people down and I'm using the gospel to lift myself up above them? So is it actually for their good or am I after something else? We have to start there. Paul's desire was not to be right. He's not trying to go into Jerusalem to prove everybody wrong. He knew if he does this, he's probably going to die. He's not trying to win an argument. He was there to proclaim the gospel so that the lost could hear and hopefully come to know Jesus Christ. This is so simple, we, we often miss it, we overlook it. We can only have a good conscience in suffering at the hand of others if we are suffering for doing good. If I'm suffering because I am a jerk, that is not suffering with a good conscience. Not because I'm trying to prove people wrong, not because I want to prove a point, not because I need to win an argument, not because I want to be the moral majority, none of those things, but because I want the lost to come to Jesus. If I'm suffering for that purpose, I can have a completely clear conscience. And I can suffer with a good conscience knowing that I will be blessed. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, suffering has the tendency to make us think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not right. But if my mind is set on what is good, what is righteous, if I suffer for that, I can have a complete, clear conscience. My conscience is clear and my reward is promised. I'm not looking for a reward from other people when I share the gospel. But sometimes we misstep, right? We don't always knock this out of the park. A lot of us, we don't get smacked in the mouth and say, thank you, let me share the gospel with you. Paul doesn't even do that here. What does he do? Look at the text. We're gonna see that a good conscience grows through the rest of that says humility. I didn't do a good job proofreading this, this Sunday. Starting in verse 3. So he just gets smacked, right? Let me set the stage for you. Then Paul says to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting in judgment according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by him said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What Paul says isn't wrong. When he fires off, he doesn't say something that was out of context. It, It wasn't No, that's not really true about them. They were white. Jesus even called them whitewashed walls and tombs. They knew um, what he said was not, or they didn't know, but Paul didn't say something wrong. 
But we can very easily, in the heat of the moment, say the right thing uh, at the wrong time. And definitely in the wrong way, especially when we're firing from anger instead of humility. We see this often when we are attacked as Christians, when our beliefs are attacked or our stance on something is attacked or our convictions about something are attacked. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we often fight back with the fangs of judgment. His purpose right there was not for their good. He was firing back um, the truth but to wound. Paul then is quickly humbled though when he reveals that what he just said to this man was to the high priest. And he quotes Exodus 22, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He's immediately made aware that he went against what God would have him do. And this is significant He apologized, but it's significant because this is where feelings, they start to meet the truth. Paul's feeling about being smacked is not positive. I don't know many people that are like, thank you, I needed that. They're not positive. He fires off in anger. He's allowing his feelings to drive at that moment. But when he's shown that his feelings are contrary to God's word, he immediately course corrects. He immediately changes his whole uh, mentality. He submits his feelings at that moment to the word of God. I am sorry. I know I wasn't supposed to do that. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient. So humility provides space for a good conscience to develop. Because we're submitting our feelings to God's word at that time. We're not firing from feelings. We're wanting to go forward with a good conscience. The only way we can do that is follow God's word. So we say, I know how I feel about this. And I know at this moment what I want to do. I've been attacked. I know exactly what I want to do right now. A lot of us, me included, more often than not, am very quick to speak. It is a problem. But if I can stop and say, I'm going to, instead of allow my feelings at this moment to drive, I'm going to stop and I'm going to submit myself to God's word. Because if I do not, I'm going to regret what I'm about to say. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be in anger, wrong, or fired off wrongly. How often... Have you not humbled yourself and you've said the wrong thing and you're sitting in your room later or somewhere else you sit when you're thinking about how angry you are and you realize at that moment, I was a complete jerk just now. How often does that happen? Hopefully uh, not too often. But if we're living By feelings, it's muffling our conscience, right? So we need a good dose of humility to hear clearly. So Peter, he goes on and says uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So the first thing we need to do 
If we're going to move forward with a good conscience, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty because He is holy and we want to uphold Him in every action as holy. So in humility, you act to uphold him as the one you are longing to please. I don't want to please myself because if I fire back with anger, I'm just looking to please myself at that moment. But if I humble myself, even if my, my feelings are screaming within me, I just want to punch someone. I don't go around punching people. Don't worry. But if you, if you deny that, and you react to please the Lord and not appease your feelings of anger or hurt or frustration, you're going to move forward with a good conscience. So we need to humble ourselves first and foremost before the Lord God Almighty. And then secondly, we need to humble ourselves before others. Paul says, or Peter says, Make a defense, that's fine, but do it with gentleness and respect. This falls in line with what Jesus taught. Love the Lord your God first. Love others as yourself. You see, as we humble ourselves before the the Lord um, Almighty, we don't need to be reactive. And we humble ourselves before others, we don't need to be reactive or accidentally say or do something against our conscience. Instead, we can slow down. And we can breathe and we can understand that we're no more important than the other person. And we can respond with gentleness and respect with the hope of showing them what Christ looks like. How much more like Christ would you look to a spouse or a child or a coworker if they attack you, if you responded in complete control? How much more clear would your conscience be if you responded constantly with prayer and love? Just notice how Peter finishes out this idea, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When we respond patiently and gently, we can walk away from a tough situation with a good conscience, knowing I upheld Christ as holy. And our accusers, on the other hand, they can deal with the Lord. They can see that I'm not going to react that way. I'm going to exalt the Lord. But living humbly, if we're doing this, it's going to start to open doors for us now. It's going to open doors now that I can, I can tell you about Jesus instead of responding with venom and you don't want to hear anything about my message. If I respond with love and patience and humility, um, a good conscience is going to present the message or opportunities to present the message of hope. So we see Paul, he gets smacked. He says he's sorry. And then he moves forward to share the gospel. If he would have said in that moment, I don't care if you're the high priest or not. Jesus is actually the high priest and you are no longer uh, useful. You're wrong and I'm right. If that's how he would have responded in that moment, he would have lost his audience. But instead he apologizes. And what do they do? Continue listening to his appeal. They, They then listen to him. Oftentimes we desire so badly to win an argument that we lose the greater opportunity to present the gospel. 
I want to be right so bad that I forget that the reason I want to be right is because I want people to know Jesus. But we forget that part because I want this point to be the one you give in on. We can be so dead set on being right that we will argue a non-salvation point so vigorously that the one with whom we're arguing will never hear the gospel behind what we're trying to say. Just like us, their heart needs to be changed. Just like us, their conscience needs the veil removed. The gospel church is the priority. Everything we do should end in preaching the gospel. Paul, he says in verse 6, now when Paul perceived that one part uh, were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, we'll get to that, he cries out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with this respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Peter picks up the same idea. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. The reason you, you are upholding Christ as holy in your heart and you are responding when attacked is so that you can provide the reason, that you can make a defense, you can have a, an audience to listen to the reason, the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ. So Paul doesn't quarrel about the law. He moves to the gospel. He's revealing the hope that he has in Christ. And it seems a little shady how he does it because he knows he's about to divide the council. He knows there's some Sadducees in here and there's some Pharisees. And, and obviously he leans toward the Pharisees because that's who he was. So he's going to make a comment and he knows he's about to split this council right down the middle. But the reason he does this is he was getting down to the fundamental issue of why he was on trial. And it wasn't because he defiled the temple. It wasn't because um, he was a Pharisee. It was because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a gospel issue. So he removes everything that they're arguing about and he wants to focus on the gospel issue. So often we get caught up in conflicts of secondary issues as the church and we never get to the gospel with people. Church, that we are to have a clear conscience about how we engage with the lost and even more often it feels like with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to keep the gospel central. Our focus should be on the fundamentals of the faith. Because our goal is for people to come to Jesus. That was Paul's goal here. And if we do that, we, can, we never need to be conflicted in our conscience because we are presenting the gospel. Now the world around you is going to say the gospel is offensive, it's intolerant, it's wrong, stop sharing that. But you remember they're operating from a seared conscience. Of course they don't accept the gospel that we're telling them. We didn't until the Lord turned our hearts around. But one that desires, they have a heart that desires to stay in darkness, to keep away from the light until the Lord reveals to them the truth. But we can always present the gospel, even if it brings division, 
with a good conscience because we're telling people good news. I have a thing with bald tires. I had a friend um, in high school. I was about 16. They had a truck um, that had bald tires in the front. They were headed home to change those tires out that, that afternoon. But the bald tire in the front left uh, blew out. It sent the truck into oncoming traffic. Um, catastrophic. And he sustained major injuries. He died a few days later in the hospital because of that. Um, but because I know like the danger of bald tires... I have no problem standing in the parking lot at Safeway until someone comes out and telling them, you need to change your tires. Um, you're going to kill someone or be killed yourself. So I have no problem because I know I'm giving them good news. And not that it's good news that you've got to go spend $800 on tires, but it's good news that you might not die because of that. Um, so church, regardless of how offensive, and I've had people say, mind your own business or whatever, that's fine. Um, it's off of my chest now. But no matter how offensive the gospel is, we are called to share the good news with a clear conscience because we're proclaiming hope. We're telling dead people how to live. And this all leads to the final point. We can have a good conscience by trusting the Lord. So look at the rest of the text. And when he had said this, I'm in verse 7, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees, they acknowledge all of them. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up, and they contended sharply, and we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension came, became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul probably didn't see the results he wanted to. We're not told any of them become believers, hear the gospel. We just hear that they, they lose it. That just seems like uh, what happens all through Acts. Preach the gospel, people lose it, right? But look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. You have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The Lord comes and testifies to his conscience. He's probably sitting in the cell thinking, Did it matter at all that I came to Jerusalem? Was I right? Did I say the right thing? Should I have said something differently? Should, should I have approached this in a different way? But Jesus says, you were obedient. Take courage. Believer, if you are following the Lord this morning, if you're living to please him, hear the words of Jesus. Take 
courage. Take courage. You're doing what you're called to do. Let your confidence or your conscience be clear. You are living for your king. Peter, again, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than for doing evil. If you're living in a way that you're called in a good conscience, trust the Lord will vindicate you. If you're living in the way that you're called in good conscience, trust that the Lord's, that is the Lord's will for you. If it brings suffering, so be it. It's okay. I'm following the Lord. Who else would we follow? But if you're suffering for doing evil, if your heart is not set on God's glory and the good of others, if you're suffering because uh, you're being a jerk, then you probably deserve to suffer. <laughs> I, you should be convicted. Your conscience should not be clear. You should say, I'm suffering. Of course you're suffering. A good conscience is developed, though, in the trust of the Lord. We know he's good. We know he's perfect. We know he will not lead us astray so we can follow him in good conscience. We know that uh, he allows suffering for his purposes. So whatever that means, it's going to be for our good. I'm going to grow through that. And I can trust that the Lord frees the conscience from being tossed, or trusting the Lord is going to free our conscience from being tossed to and fro by every wave, every feeling, every hardship that comes along. Because when I'm trusting Him, we know we're heading in the right direction. We know that He's going to work everything out according to His plan. Some of you this morning, you do not have a clear conscience. Some of you you know that you've been living to please yourself. That has been your priority. Um, primarily, that's your focus. You, don't, you haven't been living to please the Lord. Perhaps you realize this morning, it's for the first time that your conscience is seared and you need Jesus. That's a beautiful thing because he is calling you to the cross to receive forgiveness and grace, receive a new heart and a purified conscience. If that's you, I would ask you, come to the back um, and pray with me. Pray with somebody in the back uh, during the, the next few songs or after the service, or you think, that's weird, I don't want to go back there. Um, find me afterwards. I'm usually here uh, for a while. Grab me. Let's talk about it. Some of you this morning have a conflicted conscience as believers, because you have not been living, um, you, have, you have been living knowing something is sinful in your life and you need to go the opposite direction. I would call you this morning to repent. Turn to the cross. Remember that you are forgiven. Remember that you are a new creation. Remember that you're not that old person. The reason you're suffering with a, a tainted or a conscience that is not clear is because you have his spirit in you telling you to turn away. Mark Twain once said, a clear conscience is a sign of a bad memory. But truly, a clear conscience is one that is dependent on the perfect life, the purifying death, 
and the proven resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have a clear conscience if we're people of God. So may we live our lives pleasing to God, always striving to have a good conscience before him by his power. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you. You're the one who always is perfect. You do all things perfectly. You make every decision perfectly. You, God, are holy. You are exalted. You are mighty. And you promise us your spirit. And you promise us to make us look like Jesus. So you forgive us of our sins and the times that we fail, the times that we thank you that you do strike our conscience and we don't have a clear conscience at times when we're not going the direction that you're leading. But I thank you that we can come to you and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and that we know by faith you are making us look like Christ. So Lord, I pray if there are any in here who are lost, that their conscience are seared, that you would you would expose that, that you would bring them to you. If there are any here that are moving away from you and their conscience is not clear because of that, that you would cause them to repent and turn towards you. Lord, we thank you for your patience and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.